Questions and Answers. Today, Christianity and science are portrayed as enemies. It is believed that one cannot be serious about science and still hold to their faith in Christ, which is anti-science. Is this really the case? Would you believe it was the Christian worldview that gave birth to the sciences and provided the ground for which science could flourish? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, we're listening to a message that was taken from our 2020 Evian Youth Apologetics Conference. Annually, Pat brings in guest speakers from all over to teach and equip the youth today. Now, here's Clint Manley with a message entitled, The Hijacking of Science. Feeling at the great precipice of a divide between this life and whatever unseen place comes next, I questioned the resurrection of Jesus. How do I really know that he was raised so that I too may be raised with him to eternal life? How do I really know that at death my soul won't slip away into some kind of nothingness and I cease to exist? Well, by God's grace, someone was with me that night to whom I could honestly articulate that doubt. By God's grace, that person was my wife of 20 years. By God's grace, I actually shared my fear and doubt with her. And she simply said, you know the reasons that we believe Christ was truly raised. She spoke from her awareness that I've been banking my whole life, day after day, month by month, year after year on the claims and teachings of the New Testament writers. She knows that I had a seminary course in apologetics. At Susan's urging, in that oh-so-brief but frightening crisis of faith, I called to mind the abundant evidence and reasonable arguments for the reliability of the New Testament documents as true eyewitness testimony to Christ's resurrection. In that frightening moment, when death felt so near to me and so palpable for the first time in my life, the reality of the resurrection became more than a doctrine to believe, but for the first time, perhaps ever, a heartfelt hope to buoy and ballast my faith. Now that's a picture of how in the Christian life, evidence and faith go hand in hand. The rudder of reason helps guide the ship even in the midst of the storm. And so let's ask the question, is the faith of naturalism based on the same logic and reason? Well, one of the main faith commitments of naturalism is that the universe came into being out of nothing. Pat mentioned earlier the evidence for the Big Bang, which means that there is a beginning to the universe. Well, naturalism and atheism says the universe just popped into being out of nothing. Or to use our ship analogy, the ship just suddenly appeared on the ocean for no reason. And Stephen Hawking, who is a very famous scientist, expressed it like this in his book, The Grand Design. You guys test and see whether this is rational or not. He says, because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. What? That statement is riddled with false logic. First, he says that because there is something, law, the universe will create itself out of nothing. To say there is 
something and the universe will create itself from nothing is just a flat contradiction. It makes no sense. That's like saying because ships float, ships will create themselves out of nothing. He also says that because there's a law, it will create something. But a law only works if it has something to act on. To say that all ships float does absolutely nothing to create ships. And he also says that the universe creates itself. Or to put it another way, X creates X. That's a nonsense statement. For that to work, the thing created would have to exist before it was created. That's like saying before the ship created, the ship created itself. And for that reason, this led mathematician John Lennox to describe Hawking's statement like this. Nonsense remains nonsense even if brilliant scientists write it. And that's just one example, guys, of the faith of naturalism. And so I think it's safe to assert that Christianity and the Christian worldview has a solid rudder, while at best, naturalism and atheism has a shaky rudder. At worst, the atheistic worldview is rudderless and irrational. Here's claim number four. Science has proven that God doesn't exist. Or the study of the ship has shown that there is no captain or shipbuilder. Again, Stephen Hawking expressed this well. He said it like this. Science has made God irrelevant. Now, we talked about the importance of questions last night and having one question that can destroy relativism. There's one question that can destroy this argument as well. If anyone tells you that science has disproven God, all you have to ask is what specific science are you talking about? Science, especially modern science, actually provides tons of evidence for the reality that God exists. Not only has science not ruled God out, but the three biggest discoveries of the last century all point to the existence of God. The three biggest discoveries in the last hundred years are the beginning of the universe at the Big Bang, the fine-tuning of the universe for life, and the discovery of DNA. All three of those things point to a captain and a shipbuilder. They point to God. But we can go one step further. Not only has science not ruled God out, science actually needs God to function. God is the best way to make sense of science. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't say that you have to believe in God to do science, but God must exist to make sense of science. You don't need to believe in a shipbuilder in order to study the ship, but to fully understand the ship, there must be a shipbuilder. For instance, the regularity of nature cannot be explained by science. Studying nature can tell us that the world is ordered and designed, but it cannot tell us why that is the case. And in fact, it was this regularity in nature that actually led men to study science in the first place. Men like Kepler and Kelvin saw the incredible design in nature and they concluded there must be a designer, so we should study this. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. Men became scientific because they expected law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in a lawgiver. See, laws of nature need a lawgiver. The Big Bang needs a big banger. DNA needs an intelligent designer. On the other hand, atheism, by making nature all that there is, 
actually sinks science. And here's how that works. The, the atheistic evolutionary worldview says that we are products, we have evolved, and we are products of a mindless, unguided process of natural selection and chance. In other words, you and I are mistakes, which means our minds are also mistakes, and those minds are aimed purely at survival, not at knowing truth. And this actually led Charles Darwin, who is the father of naturalism and evolution, to question his own thoughts. This is amazing. Listen to this quote. Charles Darwin expressed his horrible doubt that always arises whether convictions of man's mind, which have been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or trustworthy at all. Charles Darwin himself saw the issue with the evolutionary process in that it destroys the use of our minds. In essence, when naturalists try to hijack the ship and say that the ship is everything, they actually sink the ship in the process. And this is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 1. By the way, Romans 1 is probably the best apologetic passage in the Bible dealing with a massive range of topics. But Paul says in Romans 1.28, Just as they, talking about those who hijack, rebels, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, the captain, God gave them over to a depraved mind. That word depraved in the Greek literally means shipwrecked. The mutinists refused to recognize the captain and the shipbuilder, and so he let them shipwreck their mind. So far from making God irrelevant, science needs God to function. And naturalism actually sinks science. Here's the final claim, and the most important, I think. Science can explain everything. This is a very common claim, and it is the hope of all naturalistic scientists that they can have one theory that will explain all of life. Now, this is not a claim of science as the study of nature. This is a claim of naturalism because science, the study of nature, can only explain everything if nature is all there is. That is like saying studying the ship will explain everything. But obviously that can only be true if the ship is everything. If there are things beyond the ship, if there is wind and ocean and a captain, if there are things beyond nature, like a spiritual realm, science cannot explain those things. And so the question becomes, are there things beyond nature? And this is actually incredibly easy to illustrate. Remember back to the beginning of this talk, I asked you to close your eyes and picture a ship in your mind. Think back to that experiment we started on. You imagined something. Now, where is the ship you imagined? Where does that thought exist? It certainly doesn't exist in the physical world. You can't touch it, can't smell it, but it actually doesn't even exist in your brain. See, no matter how advanced science gets, it cannot extract that image out of your brain because it's not in your brain. That image exists in your mind. It is a thought. It is something outside of the physical world. And that simple example of an imagined ship, of a thought beyond nature, that demonstrates that there are things beyond nature.
But if there is anything beyond the natural world, then it is impossible for science to explain everything. See, here's the danger of naturalism. By limiting reality to nature, naturalism and atheism actually destroys the meaning and the purpose of nature. Just like we looked at last night, we looked at relativism, which destroys the meaning of language and words because it claims there is no ontic reference, no objective reality that language points to. The same is true of naturalism, which destroys the meaning of nature because nature points outside itself to a creator. And if you limit everything to the ship, it has no purpose. If there is no ocean, if there is no captain, if there is no wind, if there is no land, then a ship is meaningless. It just is. See, nature, just like the ship, was designed to take people to an appointed destination outside itself. And so we have to ask, what is the purpose of nature? What is the appointed destination of the ship? And here it is. The purpose of nature is to reveal someone beyond nature. Nature has a meaning. Nature, like language, has an ontic referent. Sir Francis Bacon, a 17th century scientist and philosopher, very famous, he put it this way. God has, in fact, written two books not just one. Of course, we are all familiar with the first book he wrote, namely Scripture, but he has written a second book called Creation. And Bacon is simply restating what the Bible says in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies display his handiwork. Day after day, it pours forth speech. Night after night reveals his greatness. Friends, nature is filled with words. The sunrise is a word. The stars are words. The ocean is a word. I took this picture this morning of a rainbow to reveal who God is. It is a word. All of those words were designed to reveal who God is. God is the ontic referent of all nature. The appointed destination of the ship is the captain's country. The Bible makes it clear that the entire purpose of the natural world is to reveal a supernatural person. Every part of the ship, stern to stem, crow's nest to keel, from the majesty of the sails to the grain of the deck, mainmast and mizzen, all of it was designed to reveal the shipbuilder and the captain. The Bible tells us that God created the world to put his glory on display. His beauty, his goodness, his power, his creativity, his truth. And so from the Christian worldview, you can only understand the purpose of nature if you know nature's creator. C.S. Lewis has been so helpful in helping me to understand this. Listen to what he writes. This is so profound. He says, the Englishness of English is only audible to those who know some other language as well. Meaning you need to know another language in order to hear the Englishness of English. He goes on, In the same way, and for the same reason, only supernaturalists really see nature. You must go a little away from her, outside the ship, and then turn around and look back. Then at last the true landscape will become visible. 
You must have tasted, however briefly, the pure water from beyond the world before you can be distinctly conscious of the hot, salty tang of nature's current. Listen to this. To treat nature as God or as everything is to lose the whole pith and pleasure of her. Come out, look back, and then you will see this astonishing shadow of bears, babies, bananas, this immoderate deluge of atoms and orchids and oranges and cancers and canaries and fleas, gases, tornadoes and toads. Oh, how could you have ever thought that this was ultimate reality? In other words, you must get outside of nature to understand nature. Science cannot explain everything because we were designed to know and enjoy something beyond nature. See, we were designed to know the captain. All of us were made to know the captain. And so we all have a deep desire in ourselves that nothing on the ship can satisfy. Again, C.S. Lewis is so helpful here. He explained that humans have a longing that nothing in nature can fulfill. And therefore, it is a desire that science cannot explain. A desire that points outside of science. Here's what he writes. The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger while there is such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim while there is such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire while there is such thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That longing that you feel when you read a great fantasy book like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. That sense of adventure that pirate ships and bonfires awakens. That wanderlust that stirs in you at the image of distant snowy mountains or endless white sand beaches. That sweet desire you get when you think about good times in your childhood. That longing, that capital J joy as Lewis calls it cannot be explained by science because it is a desire for a supernatural object. It is a longing for the captain. It is a pointer to God. And here is the really good news. Christianity says that the captain made a way to satisfy that desire. The supernatural one came into nature. The door to the captain's chamber has been thrown wide open and he invites all to come and satisfy the deep longing of our souls in his presence. Psalm 1611 says that God has made known to us the path of life. In his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, you do not get fuller than full, and you do not get longer than everlasting. That cannot be improved upon. Our great captain, King Jesus, laid down his life to purchase my passage and your passage into the king's country. Many of you have heard the apologetic verse, 
1 Peter 3.16, that we need to offer a defense for the hope that is within us. But 1 Peter 3.18 gives us what that hope is. It says, Christ suffered once for sin, my sin, your sin, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. The whole purpose of what Jesus did was to bring us in communion with a supernatural person. Friends, I find that a totally compelling argument to support the reality of God and the reality that nature is not all there is. If that desire is real that is in you and me, and if nature points beyond itself to something else, science cannot explain everything. Naturalism and atheism are totally bankrupt when it comes to dealing with the deep lived realities of longing, beauty, goodness, and joy. Science alone cannot account for the way that we experience the world. And so to summarize what I've said, I hope you've seen that naturalistic, atheistic worldviews are bankrupt. They have tried to hijack the ship of nature using science, but they have failed. If their act of mutiny could succeed, it would maroon and sink the very vessel that they wish to control. They would leave the ship rudderless, captainless, and bereft of purpose. And as I conclude, I want to read you one quote. And this really ties up everything that I've talked about. David Berlinski is an agnostic scientist, which means that he doesn't know if there's a God or not. And he wrote this in response to Richard Dawkins' book, who I've mentioned several times in this talk. His book is called The God Delusion. And David Berlinski wrote this quote expressing his outrage at what he calls the hijacking of science. Here's what he said. Has anyone provided proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it is here? Not even close. Have our sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so long as it's not religious thought? Close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, and what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy in the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific naturalism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt dead on. That's a summary of the failure of naturalism to account for the world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, you are magnificent, and we have sung songs to you today proclaiming that truth. I pray that as we engage with the world that you've made, that we wouldn't miss the pith and pleasure of her, God, but that we would understand that the world portrays your beauty 
It puts your creativity on full display for everyone to see. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and that you would awaken our hearts to feel that desire for you, Lord, and that that would be a motivator to continually run back to you. I pray that you would awaken affections in this room for who you are, King Jesus, and for what you've done. I thank you so much for the cross and for uniting us to the only supernatural object that will satisfy the deepest desires of our souls. Lord, we thank you for the absolute privilege to be here and to talk about the world that you've made it and to dwell in your book and to sing songs to you. You are a great God and we worship you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to check it out. Also, share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrack.